If you're just joining us for the first time, we've been systematically working our way through the Gospel of Luke and learning that Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. He hasn't come for the put together. He hasn't come for those who think they have it all together. He has come for those who are the least and the lowest and those who seem the furthest from him, those who he comes for. So if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it and turn to Luke chapter 11. And while you're turning there, I want to ask, are there any Seinfeld fans in the house? Like, I love Seinfeld. I repeatedly watch Seinfeld when I don't know what else to watch. And one of the all-time greatest episodes of Seinfeld, if you don't know Seinfeld, go towards, I think it's season nine, I forget what episode it is, and watch the Festivus episode. If you don't know anything about the Festivus episode, let me catch you up. George Costanza's father doesn't celebrate Christmas. He spurns um, all religious and commercial aspects of the holiday, and it started because he went shopping for a doll, and the story, as he tells it, I cannot even come close to telling it as good as him, that there was like a competition in the store for a doll, and two he and another person went for it, and he says that while I was raining blows upon him, I realized there's got to be another way. So a new holiday was born, a Festivus for the rest of us. And instead of a Christmas tree, there is an aluminum pole, because Jerry, Jerry Stiller, I think that's what his name is, George's dad, finds tinsel distracting. And, uh, and, it, and instead of like a normal Christmas opening of presents, he... he one of the opening acts of Festivus is he gathers people around the table and there's the airing of grievances where you share with your family members all the way they disappointed you this past year. We've all probably wanted to be a part of the airing of grievances. And he opens the line of the, of the show with, I got a lot of problems with you people and you're going to hear about it. Well, in today's text... We're going to drop in to what seems like the airing of grievances. It's not going to be the happiest dinner party that we've seen in the Bible, and for good reasons. So let's read Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. And as we read it, what I want us to come away with this morning is that Jesus exposes our hearts to win over our hearts. God's Word says, As Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, you love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, you are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then Jesus said, 
Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore, you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you, experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him, to trap him in something he said. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that by your Spirit you would convict us, that you would draw us to you, that you would make yourself greater in our hearts. Would you increase? Would we decrease? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus addresses in these what's known as woes, which are just warnings about your future. They're their warnings, Jesus addresses several dangers of the Pharisees and the experts in the law heart, hearts, and he addresses our hearts as well. And the first is that we misunderstand, and the Pharisees misunderstand. So Jesus gets invited to the house of a Pharisee. Now, this is a little like you getting invited to a neighborhood party of someone in your neighborhood you know is not really that crazy about you. They have you over to dinner and you're like, like it's a little bit uncomfortable, right? But Jesus gets invited by this Pharisee and he goes. And he goes to dinner to meet with him. And I don't know if it felt strange in the room. I don't know if the disciples were like, Jesus, like it's a Pharisee, like really going to go? They've been skeptical this whole time. Why are you going to dinner? But Jesus gets the invitation and he goes. In mealtime at the time of Jesus, and we've mentioned this before, was a more public affair than it is now. This is like if you, um, if you had your patio in your front yard and just random people would show up and kind of like watch you eat. That's kind of what happened in, in the time. People would stroll in. Other people would be around. People would overhear the conversations you were having. And this was a, this was a culture that elevated hospitality a lot. So people, people um, felt obligated to extend invitations, and Jesus takes them up on it. And I'm not sure what the Pharisee thought would happen when he invited Jesus to to dinner, but I'm pretty sure, like it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure what what happened was not what he was expecting. And it was not pleasant for him either. Because the tension starts early, with Jesus going in and not performing the ritual washings. Now, this is where we begin to see the first thing the Pharisees misunderstood and the first thing we often misunderstand, and that is God's priorities. He misunderstands God's priorities. The text says that the Pharisee was amazed that Jesus didn't perform the ritual washings, and they're concerned about purity. In that culture, there was people went to great 
length to be pure. And impurity wasn't something you uh, kept to yourself either. It was something that you could spread to other people. So like this, if you were impure and you went to dinner and you didn't perform the ritual washings, you're going to probably grab that plate of food. And if you, an impure person, grab that, grab that plate of food, and then someone else grabs that plate of food, your impurity just spread to this person. So they invented these, all these ritual washings to try to prevent impurity from spreading. So they had all of these cleanliness activities. And so the Pharisee, you can understand, is a little amazed. Jesus doesn't perform the ritual cleansing. And he says, and Jesus responds and cuts to the heart of the matter quickly. Now you Pharisees, this is verse 39, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools, didn't he who make the outside make the inside too? But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. Notice, Jesus doesn't make excuses for himself. And after all, he's Jesus. He is clean. Like he is the perfect embodiment of all that is pure and good and true. And then he calls out the Pharisee saying that, you know, what you do is you're like someone who cleans a cup. And you clean the outside of it really well, but the inside gets gross. And the inside of your cup is gross. I worked in a coffee shop for a lot of, for while I was in seminary. And people would come in every day and bring their own mug. And they would often like wipe the outside of it. But, and then they would hand you their mug. And inside, like there would be like mold and stuff. And they would just, I'd be like, do you want us to clean this out? No, just fill it up with coffee. I don't know. But, but Jesus is saying your cup looks like this to the Pharisees. They failed to see God's heart. They cleaned the outside. They looked really good. They did all of the right external things, but internally, they were filthy, and they were far. Jesus presses in, continues in verse 42, but woe to you, Pharisee, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Jesus just keeps pressing in. He, he kind of insults, rightly insults the Pharisee. You're just dirty on the inside. And then he calls out their religious practices. He says, look, you give a tenth of every kind of herb you have. You tithe out of your spice rack, right? Can you imagine like going in, okay, I got my dill, got, got my oregano, and they tithe all of that. And they neglect the heart of the matter, And the heart of the matter is God cares about their hearts. And he cares about justice and love for those he loves. You see, the Pharisee, in his tithing of herbs, in his giving of those things, was doing just enough for him to consider himself righteous. He was doing just enough to get by. Just enough to make himself think that he was right before God. And then they're exacting. And then they're thinking, uh, just enough. 
I've fulfilled what God wants. And instead, God desired the Pharisee to be generous, to have a love for the things that God loves, not to just check off religious boxes to make yourself feel better about yourself. And the Pharisees, at at his heart, was greedy. And the Pharisee would have responded and said, look, look, like, Jesus, I'm righteous. I tithe, I give a tenth of my salary away. Or, or I'm, I do this. He would have started listing all the things. I do the ritual purity laws. I tithe. I go to synagogue. I go to church. And just checking religious boxes and missing God's heart. Love, love for God. Real love for God and love for God. For justice. They were just checking boxes. In Micah 6, the famous passage, we hear familiar verses about God's heart. This begins um, earlier in verse 6. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Shall I come before God with religious displays? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Then God says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God does not want just outward displays of of religion. He wants your heart. And he wants your heart to care about the things he cares about. Justice, mercy, and loving him. Your outward displays of affection for God don't earn you God. They're not a way you keep yourself right before him. What he wants is your heart. And he exposes the Pharisee's heart and he exposes our heart's Because he wants them. He wants them. The Pharisee cleaned the outside, but his heart was filthy. And I think if we're honest, what's dangerous for us, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, is that we play the part of the Pharisee so often. God loves me because, fill in the blank, I read my Bible. God loves me because I tithe. Maybe if we were to like look at our lives and say, man, if I were to grade my life right now, give myself a solid B+. Like, I'm, I'm beyond passing. I'm an upstanding Christian. I serve, serve in ROG kids. That has to merit me some, some better palace in heaven, right? I'm generous. But friends, it's impo- it is possible to do all of the right things and miss God all together. The Pharisee misunderstands God's priorities. And maybe we do too. If you think your performance in life earns you standing with God, God would tell you otherwise. They misunderstand God's priority and they misunderstand their importance. Jesus presses in. Woe to you Pharisees, you love the front seat in the synagogues 
and greetings in the marketplace. They love the front seat. The Pharisees, they thought of themselves as the culture preservers. They were the conservatives at the time, the theological theological conservatives, the moral conservatives of their time. They considered themselves the preservers of their culture and of their faith. And here's the thing. They loved it. They loved being thought of that way. They loved the position in church that let everyone else see their religious performance. They thought a lot of themselves. And they loved that others thought a lot of themselves too. And there's a danger of overinflating our own importance sometimes. And man, like this passage, as a pastor and as a leader, is a warning shot, right? That it's possible for us to get so drunk on power that we don't love God, but we love what others think about our love for God. That is a warning. Being in certain positions takes away sometimes our ability to see ourselves clearly. And when you begin living for the approval and the affirmation of others, you begin realizing that what you care about ultimately is yourself. If you leverage your relationship with God for approval from other people, You post the picture on Instagram. You share the Bible verse. All good, all fine things to do. But if you're doing them for the approval of men, you are closer to the Pharisee in this passage than to Jesus. Because we can't live for the approval of others. It will leave us empty and can't satisfy what we're looking for. The Pharisees misunderstood God's priorities, their importance, and the last thing is their influence. We're a lot like the Pharisees. We dress ourselves up quite a bit. Our culture values self-promotion. We like being liked. All of us do. But at the end of the day, if we're not addressing our hearts, we're just cleaning the outside of the cup. When the, the outside can look like light, but the inside can look like darkness. And we must be careful because this is an easy thing. Jesus ends his remark to the Pharisee with the most scathing woe yet. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 44. He says, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. In Judaism at the time, touching a grave would render you unclean in outside of community for seven days. And Jesus is indicting this Pharisee that you think you're leading people down the right way. But in the end, you are like a dead corpse that corrupts everything you touch. It's a really harsh statement from Jesus. But Jesus exposes our hearts to win over our hearts. He's exposing the Pharisee's heart in this moment and saying that their influence is not in the positive direction. They think they're doing all of the right things, but they're missing it all together because they've missed Jesus. And Jesus 
is basically saying, look, you can dress up the outside as much as you want. You can take that seat. Everyone can think good of you. But the reality is what's inside is you're dead. And if people follow that, and if that is what is important, what people think, you're going to miss him all together. And when we twist things, we lead others astray as well. We're like the Pharisees sometimes. We misunderstand God's heart, calling us to love him and love neighbor from within. We misunderstand our importance. We try to promote ourselves. We live for ourselves. And we can take the good things God gives us and use them for self-promotion rather than glorify him. And in the process, we fail to see the ugliness that can be inside. Scribe chimes in, teacher of the law, expert in the law. He says, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. I love this guy. This is the guy you know that gets offended because he just needs to be offended, right? He's talking to a Pharisee, and now the the scribe is like, whoa, what you're saying offends me too. It's indicting us too, and implicated him as well. And we see in the replies to Dean from Jesus, the danger of misapplying what we know. And we see this in three ways. The first is that the expert in the law misapplies God's word. Jesus says, verse 46, Woe to you, experts in the law, you load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. You see, the scribes were the scholars. They were the experts in the law. They were the religious people. They were the ones that knew the minutia of what it was to follow God. They were the people there to help God's people and even help Pharisees understand the Bible and what God expected of them. And it's Jesus says that they make things hard for people, that they load them up with burdens that were hard to carry. Because here's the thing, all of us carry some sort of of guilt with us. Everyone does. Everyone does in our culture. Everyone does in this room. We all carry this this sense that we have done something wrong. And they would have understood this as well. And they would have wanted to know what it was to follow God. And I know guilt is kind of a complicated thing in our culture right now because some people say guilt is actually something false that you're feeling and that's imposed from you from the outside world. Um, It's socially conditioned. Um, And then we're all trying to live, we're all trying to self-justify before others. We're trying to deal with our guilt. And people would have been concerned about following God, right? And they would have gone to these experts in the law and said, what does it mean to follow? And instead of alleviating their guilt and alleviating their burdens, what they would do is they would just keep placing more on top of people. And these were things that weren't even found in their scriptures, but they were often rules to prevent them from breaking other rules. So they would just create multiple boundaries to people. So people come to them with burdens, and instead of lifting their burdens, they just keep throwing more on. They didn't help. And they would run to people like scribes. And Jesus goes after these people and says that they're missing it says that they're missing it. You see, some of us have lived in church contexts where leaders 
have done this same thing. You may be coming from a church place where you have felt an intense amount of guilt. And then you've gone to your pastor or to your leaders, and instead of leading you to Jesus, they had you do more. And they made you feel like everything you did made God upset, God mad, like he didn't care. And rather than lift your burden of guilt, they just piled on. You know the wrongs you've done, and so your pastor just keeps giving you lists of things that you shouldn't do and all the ways that you fail. I spent some time in a system like that. It's awful. It can lead to people feeling burdened and like Jesus never dealt with their sin. But Jesus said to these scribes that 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 life is not what they were called to do. Because Jesus comes along, friends, and says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what Jesus is excoriating this scribe for is heaping on burdens rather than leading them to God himself. And there is no other way to deal with our guilt than to bring it to Jesus. And here's the thing. When we bring our hearts to Jesus, when we bring our guilt to Jesus, we don't find someone who says, Father, condemn them, for they have screwed up. We find a Savior who says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That when we bring our guilt in our heart before God, we don't find a Savior who just adds to your burden. Yeah, you really made a hash of it. You need to do better. We find a Savior who carries our burden upon himself on the cross. And so friends, Jesus is inviting us to be people who alleviate the burdens of others. Not by saying their guilt is wrong, but by leading them to the one who can take away their guilt and who can take away their burdens. They misunderstood God's word and they also misapplied their guilt. Jesus goes into this long explanation then about building tombs for prophets that they approved the deeds of their fathers. It's a long section, but what is Jesus getting at? Well, the prophets of old were often killed. They were often martyred. People didn't like what the prophets said. And so what the scribes did in this time is they would try to say, we aren't like them. We aren't like our fathers. So they would go back to, to where these prophets were buried and erect monuments to them. Like, hey, we're not like them. They shouldn't have killed the prophets. We're not going to be like them. We're going to build a monument to say that we are not like them. And in the process, Jesus says that they're actually a lot more like them than they think. Because the true prophet from God, Jesus, is standing right before them. And they're rejecting him. They have a blind spot so big they can't see because the Messiah is standing before them and they're criticizing all of the blind spots 
of their previous generation. And it shows that they're not unlike their fathers, but they are just like them. A lot of us have experienced that feeling, like parents, especially in the room, where you can probably look to your upbringing and say, like, oh, there's a lot of things that I'm going to do different than my parents, or I'm never going to do X when I have kids. And then you find yourself, like, disciplining your child or, or maybe just talking, and, like, you're like, oh, my gosh, I sound like my dad. Dear God, help me, I sound like my dad. Um, like, you know, and all those feelings that you have because you realize I'm a lot more like them than I would admit. And Jesus here is saying to these scribes, you're just like your spiritual fathers. I'm standing right in front of you. And you'll condemn the past, but you fail to look at your own guilt and what you do by rejecting Jesus. They misapplied their guilt, said it was the previous generation's problem, not their own, which brings us to the final thing they misapplied, and that is their own need. Jesus' final woe in verse 52 says, Woe to you, experts in the law. You've taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves, and you hindered those who were trying to go in. These are the experts in the law. These are the people that knew their Bibles. These are the people that, that, that you know, had their Bibles largely memorized. They had the scriptures in their hands. They held the key to knowledge, which is there so that you might know and love Jesus. And it all points to Jesus. Jesus would say at the end of Luke that it all points to him. And they held that key themselves. They, they had it right before them. And they didn't let other people see that it was Jesus that all the scripture was pointing to. And they didn't even see it themselves. And they didn't know their need. Their knowledge prevented them from seeing that they need Jesus. It all went to their heads. But it didn't go to their hearts. And instead of making them low and bow before the king of kings, it made them proud and unable to see him. And the end result is they let other people away too. There's a verse in 1 Timothy that Paul says to to young Timothy, who's a training pastor, that applies to, to pastors now, but I think to all of us. And it says, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's a heavy verse. Watch your life. Watch your teaching. When you do, you're going to save yourself and people who listen to you. The scribes did not understand, and they didn't watch their life, and they didn't really watch their teaching. And in the end, they were leading people away from Jesus rather than to him. This is a warning for teachers, but this is a warning for all of us. Because here's the thing. We are called to watch our life and our teaching. Let our light shine before men so that they may glorify God 
in heaven, that your life has a ripple effect in the world and can turn people toward Jesus or away from them. That is just the reality. I'm reading a book right now, and one of the like, startling things they're saying is that there's a large swath of millennials and Gen Z that are leaving the faith and not coming back. And the reason that the author says is not because they don't believe in God. They're actually the most spiritual generation that we've seen in a long time, generations that we've seen in a long time. But they're leaving the church because they don't think the church believes what the church believes anymore. And they look at their parents or they look at their upbringing. They see the hypocrisy there. They see that there's no love for God or love for neighbors sometimes. And so they're like, I don't know if these people believe it. And so they wander from faith. I've been a youth pastor before. And I've watched children and teenagers walk away from the faith of their parents. Sometimes it's just kid wants to sin. And so they walk away from their faith. But other times it's because they see the hypocrisy of their parents' life, and it pollutes Jesus. It's a warning for us. If we're not watching our life and watching our teaching, we're going to negatively affect people. So they misunderstand, they misapply, and finally, they misdiagnose. This will be shortest section And it brings us to the final observation of this text. And that is that we see in verses 53 and 54 that when Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began colluding together, trying to catch Jesus. And they misdiagnosed the problem. And the problem wasn't Jesus. The problem was them. Because Jesus, what he was doing, was holding up a mirror. And they, and they were forced to look at it as Jesus is like yelling at them from across the table. And instead of saying, oh, I see the ugliness you see, Jesus, they say, no, Jesus, you're actually the problem. And they start listing all of the ways that they have been in the right. Their outside looked like light. But their inside was filled with darkness. They misdiagnosed the problem. And the problem wasn't Jesus. It was them. And one would hope that if the friend of sinners is standing before you calling out your heart, that you would run to him instead of run away from him. But they don't. Instead, they move even further. And here's one of the scary but honest things. If you keep saying no to Jesus, if you keep saying, eh, I'll believe in Jesus later, eh, I'm not sure, you can slowly move your heart further and further away from him. And we, we do that. The Pharisees did it. We do that. And Jesus is over and over again inviting people to believe that he is the one sent from God. See, we have a way of just wanting to prop up ourselves. And no matter what you do to prop up yourself, you never can get rid of your guilt and you can never deal with your sin. You can never prop up yourself. You can't earn God's love and affection. You can't change your heart to make it love justice and love for God. Only Jesus 
can do that. He sees through the facades that we have. He sees the inner things that we struggle with. And you probably know your heart. You probably know what those things are and know if you've given them to Jesus or not. And Jesus stands before us today and he invites us and exposes our hearts so that he might win them over to him. The one who forgives sin. You can't make yourself right by religious performance. You can't make yourself right by doing the right things. Only Jesus can make you right. You can't elevate yourself to self-promotion and things that earns anything with the one who gave up everything, made himself nothing, and took on the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So I want to invite you, Christian or not, to lay your life before Jesus. He exposes our heart to win them over to himself. Whatever excuses we have, I would invite you to just bring them before Jesus because we can have no excuses anymore. He called us to see him for who he is, the one who comes to seek and to save the lost.